Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Palestine Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed Arinawi. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. We would like to welcome all our listeners on the AM dial and those who will join us later on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. In today's episode, uh, we will be talking to our friend and uh, commentator and analyst, Michael Sheikh, who is uh, an Australian uh, activist and author. Uh, Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Robert and Michael. Michael, Michael, Michael. Yusuf and listeners, good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, Robert, uh, today we have um, um, a distinguished guest, a friend, um, uh, a frequent guest, not as frequent as we want, but we've spoken to our uh, friend Michael Sheikh. Thanks, Michael, for being with us again on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. I enjoy being here. We enjoy talking to you, and today we are going to uh, reflect on a few um, uh, topics. Um, but also, we would like to say happy birthday to Nasser. Well, first of all, we should start. It, it's on Wednesday was International Women's Day, which is fantastic. Uh, a very, very good day. I personally believe there's not enough women in the world. We need more of them. Uh, and also, Nasser's birthday, which I think is very applicable. So happy birthday, Nasser. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we miss you very much. Is this why you remember his birthday? It's the only way. It's the only <laughs> way. So I see on the news and I see all the celebrations. And we, we got into the studio here and 3CR has done it up beautifully. <laughs> and I thought, that's just done a lot, here, hasn't he, to have his, all the celebrations for yes. him. And then I realized it was International Women's Day. So uh, happy birthday, Nasser. Yes. Happy birthday. And um, today uh, we'll talk uh, to Michael uh, about... Um, uh, maybe we'll reflect on uh, the role of women in the Palestinian struggle, mm. Palestinian steadfastness, Palestinian revolution. Uh, we might also touch on uh, current affairs uh, like the future of the peace process and other things. Uh, I just also wanted to remind people that uh, of, of Michael being a uh, 
one of the co-founders of the Gaza Flotilla, the one came up with the idea. So again, I'm in awe when I, we speak about that. So again, congratulations, fantastic. Excellent. And that's one of the problems of, you know, uh, interviewing friends. You forget to introduce them again. <laughs> so our apologies. Michael is uh, one of the uh, most prominent activists, solidarity activists in Australia and Melbourne. And author. Lucky to have uh, solidarity activists with his uh, passion, with his knowledge, knowledge, and with his dedication. Uh, so uh, thanks again, uh, Michael. Okay, so we'll, we will start with a few words. I want to uh, say thank you to uh, the Eureka Rebellions mm. in Ballarat. Because you, you did win the award. You're the Australian medal holder of the Eureka Award worldwide. So congratulations again to you, Yusuf. Thank yeah, you. Fantastic. As much as I was very happy to uh, and honored to win the award, I felt a little bit embarrassed that I knew very little about the Eureka Rebellion, uh, and especially that there is so much in common with the Palestinian struggle. The Eureka Oath was on the 29th of November 1853, and 29th of November is the International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian Cause. Um, the Eureka struggle is about direct action and the Palestinian revolution took direct action in several in several ways across more than a century. The Eureka struggle uh, shaped uh, the Australian identity. The Palestinian revolution also helped shaping the Palestinian national identity in modern history. Uh, so there are so much in common uh, between the Palestinian struggle and the Eureka Rebellion. So I would like uh, to thank uh, those who nominated me, and I would like to thank Dr. Joe uh, Costano and uh, every member of the uh, Anarchist uh, Media Institute, the uh, rebellions in Ballarat, for this for such an honor. And I would like to dedicate this medal to my father, Dr. Ahmed Arimawi, the poet, the historian, and the uh, diplomat who taught me everything and who taught me the, the alphabets of Palestine before even Arabic alphabets. Michael, now um, we had the International Day of uh, International Women's Day uh, last uh, Wednesday or Thursday. And um, we cannot talk about the Palestinian struggle without talking about the role of women in that struggle. Um, you both have been to Palestine, Robert and Michael. I have not. I mean, I can talk about the role of women in diaspora later, but I would like to hear from you. I suppose like all the Palestinians, they're very impressive. They often have to bring their families up alone because so many of the men have either been killed or mm. imprisoned for very long, long times. Um, and, you know, to them falls the generation of bring up the next um, generation of um, Palestinian resistors. Um, it's not just feeding and clothing them, it's teaching them their history, their heritage, and that right is on their side. And it's something that they take very seriously. Um, mm. And not just in Palestine, in the uh, refugee camps mm. in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and even in Australia as well. Um, you know, it's for them to socialise their kids as as well as the men, but a lot of it forced to the women to um, um, continue the struggle. 
because they've known for a long time that the occupation isn't going to end anytime soon. And they've got this ideology of samud, which samud. means steadfastness, hanging there as long as it takes against overwhelming violence until Palestine is free. And they've, they've never given up on that. And that's mm. quite impressive if you haven't seen it. Mm. It is. I was also going to say that um, I think from a, from a mother's point of view, bringing up a child, knowing what they're going to be brought into, I find them very stabilising in the house, the, the, the mothers there, beautiful, caring. And, and I've said this before, even just around Yusuf and some of your Palestinian friends here. It's amazing when you walk in, you feel the warmth. You actually feel the connection. You can feel the connection between the people that are connected to the land. And that's something that proves who the indigenous people are of, of Palestine. They're not going anywhere. And then you have these girls like Ahed, who I spent some time with uh, in Nabi Saleh, who is now in jail. Beautiful young girl that was uh, timid but strong. And it's just amazing to see the courage that they're growing up with. And I, and I get really, really upset when I hear people saying things that the Palestinian women, if they're Muslims, that they're not treated equally, that they're... We heard that uh, this morning, it, it is one this of, afternoon. It, it, it's just, to me... So untrue. Now, I can promise you, you can't tell those women what to do. They are strong. But that's not what their families are about. They're about unity. They're about family. They're about love and joy. And it, it just makes me so angry when I hear that they are not treated equally. It's just so wrong. It mm. shows the ignorance. So happy International Women's Day, especially to the Palestinian women. Um, Michael, uh, you mentioned Khalid Jarrar. Mm. Uh, do you want to elaborate more on uh, Khalida Jarrar? Uh, well, she's um, currently in administrative detention in Israel. Um, there was a very good article written by Gideon Levy. He's written a few articles about her. She's actually a member of the uh, Palestinian cabinet. Um, she's very outspoken. And the leader of the PFLP movement. Right, yeah. right. Um, she was in administration in 2015, um, they cobbled together a whole lot of charges which were nothing charges, like um, she'd encourage people to go on strike, she'd encourage people to attend a book um, fair that was not approved by the occupation. Then she was released, and last year she was um, arrested again um, for unspecified charges. Unspecified normally means none. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and essentially she hasn't broken any laws. But because she's such a strong advocate for the Palestinians, um, she, she's still in jail. And if you read, um, th there was a very good article written by Gideon Levy. I think it was last July he's around fantastic. then. Gideon. And, um, you know, p people like you and me, we've been doing this for, well, you've done, been doing it forever. I've been doing it for about 15 years. Rob's been doing few it minutes. for a few, I'm only a few <laughs> minutes. A few years now. And it, it's easy to... Um, get demoralized, to feel hopeless. Sometimes... Um, We're talking it, about this today. Yeah, it feels like mm. a long grind. And then when you see the um, um, resilience of people like that and uh, against ro ro ongoing detention, she's out for six months and then she's back in for six months and she doesn't know whether her detention will be renewed for another six months. But the way she's brought up her daughters to be like her... And that never say die kind of um, spirit. It's quite inspirational, mm. and you, you might feel a bit demoralised and tired working in Australia, and then you realise, hold on, you've got no right to feel sorry for yourself, <clears throat> given what the Palestinians are putting up with, mm. and they just seem to 
um, except that it's part of life. That mm. is their heritage and that is what they must do until they're free and they're not giving up, so I suppose neither mm. should we. There was, a be- there was a beautiful picture, I think, that was attached to that article when she was in the courtroom yeah. and the daughters were there. And it was magic to see these daughters missing their mother but uh, being with their mother hmm. because, you know, in, in spirit and, you know, in strength, it's, it's quite amazing. There's another thing that I noticed when you look at their faces, the older ones, is that there is the strength, hmm. but there's also a lot of pain. Hmm. You can hmm. see the pain that they've suffered, but they've got there. Hmm. And so unfortunately what the occupation has done, what it doesn't just steal land or innocence, it can steal a lot of joy that a mother should have had over mm. the years. Mm. And I spent a lot of time in the villages and to see some of the women when they're on their own thinking, mm. you can see where their, their minds are going and the minds are going maybe what could have been, maybe what's going to happen, what's going to happen when I'm not here. What, everything is unsure and I don't see that with the mothers that I'm surrounded he- with here. And it's just mm. one of those things that just dawned on me when you were saying that. Mm. So, mm. Okay, Michael. Peace process, where are we heading? Trump decided not only to give away Jerusalem, but to open the embassy on our Nakba day in another challenge, in your face type of thing. Look, I don't think he killed the peace process. Mm. I think it died sometime during the Obama administration. I think what he's done is he's buried it. And uh, I, I don't think it's possible for the Palestinians to even if they wanted to, to return to an American-backed peace process because Jerusalem was a third rail issue between Israel and the Palestinians. And he says he's taken off the table. He actually boasts about that, that he's given Jerusalem to the Israel. So, Someone had to do it. It was the right thing. But, yeah. You, know. you take Israel out of the West Bank and all that's left to a hypothetical Palestinian state is Jerusalem. A, 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 a patchwork of reservations and refugee camps. Mm. Uh, You know, that Ramallah, Jerusalem, Bethlehem corridor is where something like 60% of Palestine's economic activity is. So, I mean, it's been disrupted by the wall and the settlements, but if you take that out, it's it's not a viable state. So I think, you know, in a way, by closing the book on the peace process, he's now opened up a new history uh, uh, p- period in Palestinian history. And there's no easy answers now okay. for the pa- Palestinians. I mean, I'm sure something will come up um, in the years ahead because that's the way history works. But the idea that, okay, we're going to take the peace process back to the United Nations or the European Union or Russia or China, I, I think people don't understand why America got involved in the peace process to start with. In the first place. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not America who should be adjudicating it. It's the United Nations. Hmm. But Israel refused to deal with the United Nations. The only power in the world that could get Israel to the negotiating table was the United States because it gives them so much money because it's their main superpower patron. And that's what happened in the 1990s under George Bush I, the, the elder. And since then, you know, America's been playing the role of honest broker even though it's been very much weighted on Israel's side. And what Donald Trump did was he kind of like threw that aside and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to make my um, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's a great supporter of a very militant, fanatical Jewish settlement, my special envoy to the Middle East, and I'm going to make my bankruptcy lawyer, who's also an 
ardent advocate of the settlements and a financier of the settlements, my ambassador to Israel. And as a cherry on top, I'm going to sign over Jerusalem to Netanyahu and open an embassy there. And that has kind of stripped away any pretense of even-handedness. But you see, the the idea that the Mm -hmm. Palestinians can just go to the European Union or, or the United Nations doesn't follow from that. Because is last year, the um, French um, Prime Minister, President, what was his name? Um, Hollande. Hollande. He held a huge conference in Paris about Israel and Palestine. Netanyahu just didn't show up mm. um, because they can do that mm. to any other power in the world. So it just means there is no peace process and there's no prospect for a peace process. And that's what I was getting back to. The Palestinians know that they've reached a dead end. And what comes after that, they don't know. But they know it's going to be ongoing occupation, ongoing apartheid. If there's one good thing this has done, it's stripped away the idea that the occupation is temporary. Um, They've always said, look, 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 it's a temporary occupation. We're going to resolve this with a peace process. There'll be two states, blah, 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 blah. Now that Netanyahu is quite open that he's not interested in two states and the peace process is dead, there's no other word for it except apartheid now, because that's a definition of apartheid, where you've got two populations living side by side in the same country. Two sets of laws. Different access to resources, one in a position of supremacy over the other, and it's permanent. And we haven't had that last clause as yet. It's always been temporary, temporary. It's not apartheid. Yes, Jews do lord it over Arabs, but it's only temporary. Now we know that that is a long-term, that is a future for the foreseeable future, that's a future that the Palestinians are going, and the world is going to have to deal with. So in a way, that's a, um, it's stripped away the, the, the pretext. But what comes next, I don't think anybody knows. There mm. are no easy answers for the Palestinians, for the PA. Um, I, I think essentially the world has put it in the too hard basket, mm. and they're just going to see what happens. The trouble is they've done that before. In the 1980s, um, they tried to do that. And they were the first intifada. That's the trouble with the Palestinians. They just don't know when to quit. And they don't think they're, they, they know they're occupied, but they don't think they're conquered. And when you see things like, you know, um, the resistance in places like Nabi Salah, in the refugee camps, as the Palestinian Authority, which was set up to negotiate the peace process and to administer, administer the, the reservations, and that loses more and more credibility, there are going to be new models and new leadership that c- comes up. But the, I think you know, most Palestinians know that the, there's hard times ahead. I mm. mean, they know that the past has been hard, but the future's going to be harder. Essentially now, Netanyahu's got carte blanche, and I regret to say this, but even the Arab world has abandoned the Palestinians. You're talking about the airspace. Yeah. That, that, that's what I was going to ask. The Israelis now say, say that, well, we don't need to uh, uh, go through the Palestinians to achieve peace with Arabs. Yeah. We can bypass the Palestinians and convince the Arabs that we can have bilateral uh, negotiations, not negotiations, agreements, or a form of understandings with, on, on, on their own without having to pass by the Palestinian uh, negotiator. And we've seen that uh, 
in uh, Saudi Arabia, we've seen that in Qatar, we've seen that in uh, Egypt. Egypt, yeah, and uh, probably uh, there are other countries that we don't know uh, much about. So uh, while that is happening, while that is happening, the Palestinians seem to be the only ones, and Palestinian leaders seem to be the only ones who have been saying no to Trump and saying no to Netanyahu and saying, no, we're not going to negotiate without uh, predetermined uh, border mm. lines. And, uh, you know, mm. within that, I think the danger, like you said, Michael, is that if we lose the Arab support, if the Arab League um, <clears throat> or the Arab countries stop supporting the Palestinians in their demands of right, peace, or just peace, what's going to happen? How it's going to look like in, in, in our relations? And it's very scary. Mm. It's very scary. Mm. I, I have family members who live in Saudi Arabia, and uh, I also know friends who live in other Arab countries. And things are, you know, uh, uh, uncertainty is the, is the key word now. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the failure of the Arab Spring was a historic defeat, not only for the people in Egypt and Syria and what have you, but, you know, for the whole of the Arab cause. Mm. And what happened, I think, essentially, the Arab elites were were shaken by the Arab Spring. And all of a sudden, they realized they had a lot more in common with the Netanyahu government than they realized. And it's not just about Iran. It's... um, They hate democracy for the same reason that the Israeli government does. They don't want to empower people. And that is a... um, Until democracy comes to the Arab world, I think that's a dilemma that we're stuck in. Uh, You know, if you look at the reaction of the Egyptian government when Gaza was being bombed in 2012 and then again when it was totally hammered in 2014, you can see... What the def- yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, the Egyptian government gave them carte blanche in 2014. Mm. Um, they actually took Israel's side um, uh, because they they saw Hamas as an extension of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was a democratically elected government that the military overthrew. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, like I said, this is a very hard time, but at least the illusions have been stripped away, mm. not only by the Palestinians, but by the Arab masses as a whole. Mm. They realize that, you know, um, Nasserism, Baathism, Wahhabism, and all these other isms that sounded so great in the 20th century have been exposed as like hollow shells that are actually just um, hiding corruption, mm. nepotism, and, you know... Um, mm. Yeah. Now, I, uh, having said that, totally agree with you. Now, where we are today now when it comes to the Arab uh, Arab Spring uh, is not just the, we cannot just bl- uh, uh, blame or be uh, uh, or bash the players, but we, we cannot forget that the reason we are here today is the failure of the leadership that was produced by the free elections, the failure mm. of Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. Had they not been so selfish, had they not been so arrogant and so failing in the way they handled power, I, I don't think we would have been here. Yeah, very good point. And, um, very good point, and, yeah. and let's not forget them in, that, in, 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 in today's uh, picture because yeah. look what they, uh, what they, you know, we can talk about what they did in Egypt, we can talk about what they did in Tunis, we can talk about what they did in Libya and elsewhere. I don't think they, pu- they portrayed... A good alternative. 
Yeah, and I think you can see the same in um, Palestine for all the um, failings of the Fatah and the PLO. We've seen what, the, what Hamas has been doing exactly, in Gaza. Exactly, exactly. You know, Hamas came to Gaza with the promises of that we will restore Sharia and we will improve the lives of the people and we will stop uh, the corruption. But they actually reproduced corruption. They, uh, the, the, the final, I mean... We can't, yeah, th- th- and they were going to force Israel into an honourable peace with yeah. Qassam rockets. And Let, let's not forget also that the people operating that we're talking about mm. are operating in a world that is so difficult that none of us would ever understand. They've had a, a, a people come in, completely demoralise them, colonise them, yeah. not give them opportunities to make rash decisions. Yeah. They can make rash decisions, but the rest of the world says no. They're living in an area that they don't know what's going to happen. The only thing that they're sure of is that the world's not going to help them. Mm. That's the one thing that they can, they can yep. count on, yep. the consistency that they are not allowed to fight back, to go to the International Criminal Court. They cannot go to the UN. What the hell can these people do? Mm. And mm. so I, I think it's very, very tough to criticise what is going internally because yeah. we wouldn't know because we don't live there. I'm not saying that all the decisions are right or wrong. Yes. All I'm saying totally is that agree. it is a horrific situation for them to be in and we're all to blame for allowing it to happen. And at the end of the day, it's the occupation that causes it, it is Zionism that causes it, it is racism, fascism, it's disgusting. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember 10 years ago when um, Yusuf in, um, introduced me to the governor of Nablus and he was explaining what security corporation. You've told me this many times. Yes. It's so good. Um, well, you know, security corporation is a very dirty word in Palestine. It's when the PA cooperates with Israel um, to suppress Palestinian militancy and sometimes even to hand over people to the Israelis. But he said, look, what can I do? He said, I control a tiny part of my government, which is the center of Nablus city itself. He said, but I'm responsible for all of this stuff. If there's a woman who's having a miscarriage over that hill, they can just close the checkpoints if I don't do everything they want me to do. He says, essentially, they've got me over a barrel. And um, that is the reality of trying to be a governor there. So he said, and and I think that, you know, I mean, we can say, yes, Hamas failed. Fatah failed, the Palestinians in a difficult place. But if you had Mahmoud Abbas's job, what would you be doing different yeah. now? The, and the I le- can't answer that. The, le- the, the level of responsibility is enormous. Yeah. I mean, look at, look, I mean, he said that we will no longer t- partake in the peace process. You'd think that was fairly reasonable to say after what Trump did. What did Trump do? He didn't punish the PA. He punished the most vulnerable Palestinians, and that is those The ones who are reliant on UNRWA. UNRWA, and cutting their budget by $60 million. And, and you know, it, it was so, so cruel and so, so short-sighted because what do UNRWA do? They provide health mm. and education to millions of Palestinian refugees. When those schools close, at this particular time in history, what are those young boys going to do? Without an education, well, where are they going to go? Mm. Who's going to I give think them? This is done in pur- on purpose to drive people into ignorance, to drive people into radicalization, and to drive people into hopefully, according to Netanyahu, to falling into the, uh, another form of ISIS, so that he can say, "Look, yes, we're we're fighting terrorism." And Israel is the only oasis in there. Just, just on that, though, when, when we say radicalism, a lot of people assume that it's straight into Islam, into religion. Yeah. People, people that are lost and don't have a connection to you know, the, the things that we take for granted, which is love and freedom and all of those things, they will turn to a group that unites them. 
Now, if you've got a common enemy, I know what I would do. I know it. Most of us don't have the balls to admit it, but mm. we have the audacity to say that these people are fanatics. Oh, my God, they're born Radicals. to kill. They're born. Why don't you go back a few steps and look at the, what they've been born into, what help they've been given, which is none. You're setting these people up to become criminals, but they're not criminals because they're trying to fight back for their own freedom. Mm. Hmm. On this note, we're going to have to leave it here, but we will definitely continue our uh, discussions with our uh, guest, uh, Michael Sheikh, a Palestinian activist and writer. Th- and author, I like that, the author. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the show, uh, Michael. Is that uh, it? Are we finished? We have finished for We're just for, getting warmed up. <laughs> we have, we're finished for this episode. For this episode. We, I, I think that there may still be an issue in, in Palestine over the next few weeks, so yes. I, I would assume uh, that we'll have a show going on a little bit longer. So uh, thank you, Michael, again. Great fun. Thank you. With this, uh, we have come to the end of this week's episode of Palestine Remembered. uh, And we have spoken with uh, our friend uh, and uh, commentator, Michael Sheikh. Thank you for being with us and until we meet next Saturday, this is Nasser, Robert and Yusuf wishing you the best of time and salam. <laughs> <laughs>